to Central Coast Voices, a program addressing the ramifications of change in our communities and beyond, and how today's choices will impact tomorrow's community. This program is a project of Action for Healthy Communities, and it's provided in collaboration with KCBX and the Community Foundation of San Luis Obispo County. This program is made possible through underwriting by Joan gellert Sargent. Fred Monroe continues to host the program from home with continuing concerns about protecting us all from the COVID virus. Today, Voices looks at Slow County's new approach to address homelessness. While the homeless population in California has grown over the past three years locally in the county of San Luis Obispo, the most recent point in time count, uh, which shows the number of homeless people, dropped by as much as 2% from 2019 to 2022. Today, our guests will look at the plan to continue decreasing homelessness in our communities. Join Fred and his guests for today's frank and important discussion. We invite you to listen, learn, and participate in our conversation today. Give us a call at 805-549-8855, and we'll pass your question along to uh, Fred and his guests. Or you can email your questions to voices at kcbx.org. Now let's join Fred Monroe and his guests. Over to you, Fred. Thank you, Brad. Glad to be with you in the new year. Good afternoon, folks. Central Coast Voices is something we've been doing for quite some time. Our goal is to bring you credible and valid information and insights from diverse members of our community. We want to address how today's choices will affect tomorrow's community. Today, we're going to look at new approaches to addressing homelessness. Um, The Cal Matters study recently showed that the 15% increase over the last three years in California statewide was not necessarily reflected in San Luis Obispo County. San Luis Obispo County actually saw a drop in homelessness in the point-in-time count of uh, 2022. That drop has been over the last three years. Joining me today, Susan Funk, who's the mayor pro tem of the city of Atascadero, and she is the chair of San Luis Obispo County's Homeless Services Advisory Council, is with us, and Kristen Ventresca, who is the County of San Luis Obispo's Communications and Data Manager for the Homeless Services Division of the County Government. They've joined me today because they understand this topic probably better than anyone else in the county. And there are many, many of us who do not understand this topic, even though we would like to understand it. And whatever we can do to try and make it more understandable for everyone is terrific. They're going to discuss the new five-year plan that was approved by the county to address homelessness with a goal of reducing homelessness in San Luis Obispo County by about 50%. As Brad mentioned, you can give us a call at 805-549-8855 or email us at voices at kcbx.org. If you send an email and it's elaborate, we may not be able to get it addressed on here. But the flip side of that is if you have an elaborate or more involved question or concern you want to share with my guests, I will pass the email along directly to them. I cannot guarantee everyone will get a direct answer back, but we want to make sure that the dialogue is as open as possible. Both Kristen and Susan have worked very hard to try and make sure that the community stays connected to this issue as an understandable topic to look at and address. Um, And their being on the program today is part of that process, and it will not necessarily end here. The 
the homeless population seems to be everywhere and everyone notices them all the time and a good portion of the public thinks it never gets any better it's only getting worse um what is this study looking at and where are we headed that will maybe give us all a a more positive feel for solving a real tough problem Thank you, Fred. That's a great question to start with. One of the things that we looked at in developing a plan to address homelessness countywide was, first of all, that the level of homelessness we are seeing and experiences in our communities every day is just way too high. And people in the community want their public spaces back. They want to feel safe in their neighborhoods. They don't want to see people suffering and struggling so hard to be able to survive and live in this community. Um, And so from all kinds of perspectives, we needed to make a change. The the strategy that we developed uh, involves really a new approach to, to it, where for quite a number of years, we basically worked on Dizzy, what, how much money can we get from various granting sources and what's the best good that the agencies and the community can do with that money? And we tried to work to get it coordinated and give it some, a little bit of guidance, but basically it was a reactive model. So with the new plan, what we set out to do was to see what our community needs of us if we're going to get this this very challenging complex problem better managed and then we'll figure out how to pay for it how to organize it how to make these things happen but first we need to figure out what needs to happen in our communities Uh, and so that's the approach we took and immediately it makes everybody uncomfortable because we're identifying things that we don't know who's going to do it and we don't know how it's going to get paid for we just know where we need to focus to make this happen. And then we develop a plan. So go ahead. The the plan that you put together looks at, or it seems to look at a lot of opportunities for, for housing that we would not normally consider, not at the moment consider mainstream housing. But I, but it seems like that has been tied to a, an interesting coincidence, which is tiny homes, granny flats and auxiliary units, which are becoming more popular for people who are not homeless necessarily, but want to live with a child or a family member nearby and or people who really choose that kind of, if you will, small cabin living. It's a nice coincidence that the desire to look at this as homeless housing is also tied to a desire for that kind of housing to be seen as more practical for people who are not necessarily homeless. Um, is, is this happenstance that these came together or how, how have they fit together so recently? That wasn't happenstance. Uh, there's a significant reliance in the plan on new types of housing because we need to, first of all, build other pathways out of homelessness. Uh, and the other thing is that 
we need to help people not become homeless in the first place. And what you see in national data is if you look at the communities that have really high rates of homelessness per capita versus the communities that don't, the communities with high rates of homelessness don't have massively more people with mental health issues, although that's always a factor in homelessness. They don't have massively more people with addictions, although that's a factor. What they have is much, much higher housing costs. And so we have a huge percentage of our rental community that is vulnerable to losing their housing if anything goes wrong in their life. And because there are too few units that people can rent affordably for the number of people with that level of income. So there's this huge, almost cruel musical chairs game where there aren't nearly enough chairs. Yeah. And people are piling onto each other and they're, they're they're sitting in each other's laps and sharing spaces and doing everything they can to make it work. But in order to long-term have a better pathway out of this, we need to have housing stock that better reflects the way people want to live and the income levels um, that are in our community. Yeah. Kristen, I want to move to, to you for a moment. By the way, that was Susan Funk speaking because I realize we're on, even though I can see your faces on my Zoom screen, we're on radio, so I should identify people. Sorry, that was Susan. Thank you, Susan. Um, Kristen, the position that you're in with the county um, is reasonably new, and I, I believe the program you're in with the county has, has really evolved prior to, but really hand in hand with this study. So what is the county looking at differently? Because historically, from my mind, a good portion of the services for the homeless have been dealt with by Capslow and ECHO and Five Cities Homeless Coalition, which are wonderful organizations doing incredible yeoman's work, uh, but they're not government agencies. So the fact that the, the county actually has a department or a division, if you will, to um, to address this, I think for a lot of us and our listeners, that is a a reasonably new role for the county. Yeah, thank you, Fred. First of all, thank you so much for having me today. It's really a true pleasure to be here, and I look forward to this discussion. And you are absolutely correct. This is new for the county. Um, this five-year strategic plan to reduce homelessness by 50% was adopted by the County Board of Supervisors on August 9th. And with that also is a newly formed homeless services division. So as you mentioned, my specific position of a communications and data manager and a homeless services division has never existed before at the county. I'm really excited for this opportunity. The plan is very direct with the line of efforts that are included with measurable outcomes to hold us accountable to see if we are successful in this plan. And one of those specific line of effort is building public engagement through information sharing and partnership. And that is part of my current role that I recently stepped into about six weeks ago is to build that public engagement to ensure that regional collaboration does happen and that we have our cities, our community partners, the public on board with this vision and to let them know how they can help as the county leads this effort. Um, without telling people what they have to do. Um, we want people to be willing and buy into this plan um, and 
it's ensure that it's successful. And when we break down the plan and look at these six lines of effort, there really was a lot of thought and time that went into this plan. Um, and I'd love to get into those individual goals and lines of efforts later if we have some calls about that or if there's um, further information desired. I'm excited to talk about that as well. Well, one of the goals that, that comes to mind is the, and Susan mentioned it briefly, is the, the concept of reducing the homeless population in our county by 50%. Um, there's a, a lot of interesting efforts. Um, I'm, I'm going to bring up what, what Echo did by literally buying a motel to um, work with both transitional housing and I believe some of it is semi-permanent housing. I, I was, I, I mentioned that because I was absolutely, po- oh, I was, it was a positive shock, not a negative shock, but I was shocked when, um, when Wendy Lewis shared with us the information that they were able to do this. That seemed so far out of left field. Um, I bring it up today primarily because I think for a lot of us, the fact that that is, was a feasible was financially feasible and is working um, is something that I would say eh, two or three years ago, the skepticism about that kind of project would have, would have been very, very typical, but that tells us that there are innovative ways to do this. And I believe, by the way, if for people who don't know where that particular project is, it's the old motel six in Paso Robles, which happens to be right next to a first-class hotel. So it's it's not like somebody decided to do this way off the beaten path to make it work, because it, there seems to be an underlying theme for a lot of people of, can you please house the homeless as far away from me as possible? Um, Let me comment on that. This is Susan. Uh, that... A couple of things. First of all, that was a partnership. ECHO partnered with both the county's housing authority and people's self-help housing in putting together the deal. And it involved support from the city of Paso Robles uh, in turning over other grant money that was slated to work on this challenge and uh, getting a new grant from the state's Project Home Key. It is the very fact that there are these kinds of new granting opportunities that make it possible for us to say, we've got to do a plan and we don't know how we're going to pay for it all yet, but we, but let's see what we really need to have happen. And those are the kinds of, of transformational changes that we need, need to have happen. Uh, and second, where these low things are homeless uh, housing and first steps out of homelessness occur Um, think about the fact that homeless people mostly are transporting themselves on their feet or on bicycles, and they don't have access to kitchens. Um, And so you have to locate this where where people will be able to walk to or get or get buses to the to food, cooked food and medical services and other services that they need to deal with the bureaucracy and get themselves worked out of homelessness um, and to be able to get to job opportunities. The, the average 
citizen in San Luis County, when they have any contact with a homeless person, it is that the perception is they are interacting if it's on the street corner, in front of a supermarket, um, the driveway to the drugstore, places where we we see homeless um, hanging out, if you will. Um, and I'm uncomfortable using the word, but I can't think of a better way to describe it, and I apologize. Th- there is this perception that all of the homeless are mentally ill, unkept, have no initiative, and wouldn't want a job if you found one for them. And I believe that's not the, that's not the people living at the Echo Project. That's not the people who are working with with uh, Prado Forty Prado in San Luis Obispo, and the, not the people you are probably working with um, as you implement this program. But for the public, that's what's visible. And I think for a lot of our listeners, the concept of the most the most difficult to house homeless are the ones we see that there is a perception aren't going to want the housing if you get it for them anyway. They want to just be left alone. And I don't know how we bridge that particular chasm, if you will, and how we address the fact that for the vast majority of homelessness, that's not the kind of people they are. They're the ones that are on somebody's sofa or they're in their RV in a, you know, on the street someplace, um, moving it around every few weeks. Uh, they might be people who are indeed in place at Echo in Paso Robles or even Echo in San Lu- in Atascadero, but they're not the homeless we see. In the notes that you gave me, you did mention that there is about a thousand person gap between where there is housing, transitional housing, or interim housing for homeless versus how many homeless people we have that are indeed statistically on the street, which means a thousand people are stuck living by the Salinas River, are stuck living under a a bridge because there isn't housing for them. But those are the only ones we see. And I wonder how how we transition that so those people are addressed and their and their need for housing is addressed as opposed to them being seen by a good portion of the population as oh they'll be how they'll be homeless forever regardless of what we try and do for them um, which is something I've heard and it's very frustrating to hear one of the things uh, that we know, um, about our homeless community is there is a big nexus between homelessness and addiction and homelessness and mental health. Uh, it's roughly a third each of our homeless population have report either addiction or mental health problems, and many people have have both of them. But it's also a cycle. Um, you know, Echo is uh, tells us that. Um, many of the people who come to that shelter to try to get out of homelessness and are dealing with addictions were not addicted before they became homeless. It was the despair and the grind and the difficulty of being homeless that led them to medicate that with drink 
or with drugs and slid them into the point where they were then addicted on top of everything else and had an even higher hill to climb to get back out of homelessness. It's one of the reasons why we we have in the plan that I'm sure Kristen wants to tell you a little bit more about, a focus on prevention in the early stages, because it's so much more difficult once people have fallen into homelessness for a period of time to help them climb back out. Yeah, that's a good transition because we also got a call at the studio from Sandra in Arroyo Grande, and she called to suggest that the homeless population would benefit enormously from extensive drug treatment programs as ongoing support. And how? So I, this wasn't part of the question, but I suspect what she's really saying is, how is this plan going to integrate that kind of concern? Because it's it's clearly a very important thing. Sandra, thank you for your comment. That was a, a very very apropos um, expression of a concern. So we appreciate it. Um, Kristen, want to step into the the, uh, the study a little bit and talk about how that may fit? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. So the overall plan, while reducing homelessness is the goal, solely building housing is not the only answer. So reducing homelessness really requires not just that physical increase in housing, but also the services needed to support the people in securing and retaining that housing as well. And I think that really speaks to the question asked and really is part of our line of effort, too, that's in the plan, is to focus those efforts on really reducing and eliminating the barriers to housing stability to those that are experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness, and including prevention and diversion and the supportive services that those individuals might need and really being able to navigate the housing that fits them best, which is what Susan already discussed. And I think Fred, you had mentioned as well, is just the creativity with the housing that's coming and the innovative housing. Um, And part of the plan also is to create 300 additional units in the first three years of the five-year plan for those interim housing opportunities. Um, Homelessness is not one definition. There are many stages. There are chronic homelessness. There's at-risk of homelessness. Not every person has the same story. So one type of housing is not the perfect fit for all of the population experiencing homelessness. And that's where that innovation of Interim housing, including tiny homes possibly or tiny cabins, sober living might be needed, pallet shelters, and other similar approaches to create those 300 units to really um, help the diverse homelessness population. The the question, I think, uh, to expand the question a little bit, is you are dealing with some members of the homeless population who flat out want you to leave them alone. And I suspect those in some cases are are not the hidden population. They may be the most visible population. Um, and I, I can't think of a better word for this, and I apologize. They They may be the most argumentative part of the population when it comes to finding services for them. I'll... I'll note on that, Fred, that it, it that yes, there are some people who are going to be really challenging 
And that's one of the reasons we didn't promise to end homelessness in five years, but we promised to, to chop it in half. That we can, uh, because some people are going to take longer to work with than others. Um, the uh, If you ask a person who is homeless and on the street if they want help, the average is that person has to be asked 17 times before they say yes. You're talking about building a substantial relationship with somebody who has lost all hope of coming back into the housed community, doesn't see see a pathway for that. It may not even feel safe to them anymore to have you know the stress and anxiety of trying to keep making rent. And where would they do that? How would they find roommates? How would they even manage that? People give up. And so it takes time to develop that relationship, which also means that if you ask you know that question, you know, you, the odds of your being the 17th ask, you know, you know or more for that person uh, is, you know, that most of the time people are going to say, no, 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 I don't need any help. I'm good. You're also dealing with people in many cases, their last surviving shred of human dignity in this very difficult situation is their belief that they can take care of themselves or that they can get by with a little help from their friends. Um, as the Beatles once said, and you're asking us, can we help you get to a different way of living that's better for you ultimately, safer for you, better for the community, but that you may not have any hope to aspire to anymore. So it takes time to work with folks. And in the meantime, we also need to be keeping other people from falling into that situation so that you know we have fewer people we have to dig out from such a, a pit of despair yeah when you're talking about that i also suspect that we are dealing with a, num- a number of or, or a good percentage of this population who flat out has only had negative experiences with anybody from the government and i you know I believe that there are people, and it's come up in conversations that we've had because Wendy Lewis has been here before and folks have been here from from Prado Road. There is, for a lot of people, a perception that if the government's going to offer me any help, it's just going to make my life worse. And if you're already homeless, the government, your interaction with the government doesn't feel like a positive experience already. So... But this is a plan that was is being implemented, if you will, with a lot of with a coalition of a lot of organizations. But for the population you're trying to connect with, um, it's still seen as the government. Is, is this a bridge that's difficult to address, or may, maybe since since it's not a population I deal with on a regular basis, I may be misunderstanding where the um, where the barriers may be. Absolutely. Thanks, Fred. So I definitely see this is the the government partnering with our agencies. Um, a lot of the funding does come down from one-time funds or grant funding um, that can fund programs such as street outreach, 
so that the government can now fund Tima and Echo and Capslow with 40 Prado to have these street outreach teams to go out to where those that are experiencing homelessness and that hard to reach population or those that you had mentioned might, might not want help to establish those relationships and to offer a sandwich, offer warm pairs of socks, to offer something to meet their basic needs of life. And as Susan says, that takes time. Um, I, I am not out handing sandwiches. That's not, that's not uh, my position. That's not my specialty. But I do, I am able to secure grant funds to be able to provide to our partner agencies that have that specialty to um, secure those relationships and develop those relationships and build that trust. And once those individuals, as Susan says, it takes a, an average of 17 times. And what we can do as a government is fund those agencies to ensure that their success and having more street outreach to be able to reach those populations that might be in um, creek beds or along the side of the roads or in encampments and to ensure um, that they're successful in getting into services. Yeah. We're going to take a break here for a minute or two. Glad you're with us. We'll be back with us and continue this discussion. I encourage you, um, maybe if you have a moment, to send us an email at voices at kcbx.org. Um, if you have a an elaborate, intricate question that we may not be able to get to on the air, we'll pass your email along to Kristen and Susan to make sure that um, in every effort to advent, address your concerns gets addressed. I'm going to turn it back over to Brad in the studio. This is Central Coast Voices, and we'll be back with you in a few moments. Thanks, Brad. From the KCBX community calendar, you're invited to come join the Cupid Paws Doggy Parade on the Avila Beach Promenade on Saturday, February 4th from 11 until noon. This year's parade participants will receive goodie bags donated by Petco, a Royal Grande. And if you'd like to register your dog, they must be registered and check in between 10 to 10.45 to receive a contest identification number for the costume contest. For more information, you can visit avalabeachcc.com. I'm Maria Hinojosa. This week on Latino USA, my conversation with journalist Nicole Hannah-Jones, author of The 1619 Project, and a visit to her 1619 Freedom School in Waterloo, Iowa. We know how to educate our kids. We just refuse to do it. That's this week on Latino USA. On the next Fresh Air, as the mishandling of classified documents makes headlines, we'll talk with Matthew Connolly. In a new book, he argues the government today designates far too many records as classified, making it hard to ever declassify them. The growing level of government secrecy, he says, is bad for public accountability. Join us. The Buffalo blizzard was like no other. So usually I actually put on my snowshoes and I'll snowshoe in. But this time I actually couldn't make it to the store for about three or four days. I'm Amy Scott, the lasting damage from that holiday storm, next time on Marketplace. That's all ahead on our Thursday here on KCBX. Fresh air coming from 3 to 4, Marketplace from 4 to 4.30, followed by All Things Considered from 4.30 to 6.30, and Latino USA up at 2 o'clock. Right now, up at, yeah, at 2 o'clock. Right now, let's return to Fred Monroe and his guests on Central Coast Voices. Back to you, Fred. Thank you, Brad. 
For those of those of you who may be just joining the program now, we've got a few minutes left and please stick with us. We've got a lot to talk about. We're looking at new approaches to addressing homelessness and a five-year plan that the county is in the process of implementing. My guests today are Susan Funk, who's the mayor pro tem of Atascadero and chair of San Luis Obispo County's Homeless Services Advisory Council. And uh, Kristen Ventresca, who is the County San Luis of San Luis Obispo's Communications and Data Managers for the Homeless Services Division. And this study is going to make a difference if we can get it implemented and if we get cooperation with the cities. And I suspect that one of the things that comes up is that people who who want to help in a lot of ways may get resistance to help from the communities they live in um, because people do not feel necessarily safe or comfortable with homeless people around them. Susan, you and I had had, had a brief discussion one time in the past about a, a change in state law that went into effect, I believe, this year, which makes it um, a little bit smoother for people to add auxiliary units or granny flats to their property um, even in communities where that's um, resisted and or, quote, against the law. Can you tell us a little bit about that change in state law and how that's going to affect positively what your efforts are? Sure, Fred. It's one of the um, opportunities that we have to for, for individual people to take action uh, is to consider putting an accessory dwelling unit or granny flat um, um, on your property if you own a home because the state law has made that much easier um, as long as in areas that are supported by urban services. So if you have a connection to the sewer system, for instance, in water already to your property, that's going to be more likely an area where this might be suitable. And further, the cities have uh, developed Atascadero, along with Arroyo Grande and Morro Bay and I believe Grover Beach, worked together to develop a package of stock plans for ADU. So you can walk into your city office, look at what the models are available in sizes that range from just a few hundred square feet up to almost a thousand square feet, and look for what a configuration might work on your property and get a plan that's already set with all of the approvals it cuts the speed with with which you develop that unit and the confusion the risk the number of decisions you have to make cuts that all um down a lot are there some avenues within your plan to to find and um and nurture people who are saying you know i have got enough property and i've got room for a um a small unit or a couple of small units, what can I do, not necessarily just to rent them out, but to, to work with the county to maybe find people who are um, el- eligible homeless people who are looking for housing that what I'm offering may be the most affordable option for them? The best way to do that would be to reach out directly to the agencies that work with with folks who are homeless, you know, like Echo, or Five Cities Homeless Coalition, or, or Forty Prado, uh, where they they are already working every day with people who are working really hard to find housing, um, or who are already housed but 
um, are going to lose their housing because the owner's going to renovate it or the owner passed and it's the new generation wants the house or all of those reasons that people lose housing out of their control and are trying to stick to keep it. These are great ways, you know, these can be great tenants. Also consider the impact of having um, a first step out of housing option like the cabins for change that just opened in Grover Beach that Five Cities Homeless Coalition is managing. These are little tiny cabins, like 100 square feet and in a cluster with shared bathroom facilities and supportive services wrapping around that to, to give folks a hand up out of homelessness. Uh, with the And so imagine that you've got a prospective tenant. I mean, if somebody's just coming out of the riverbed, this is not somebody most folks will want to rent a little home on their property to. But if that same person said, yeah, you know, three months ago, um, I was living in the riverbed, but now you know, I have you know, I've been in a stable place and, and my health is better. I've been working steadily for the last two months and here's how I want to build it. And now I'm ready to move into a place where my grandkids could come and visit. That might be somebody you'd consider running to. Yeah. There, I, I suspect there's a balancing act that's really tough to work out sometimes, too, because there may be some very employable homeless people already who are not in programs. But frankly, if I'm living in a tent um, in, in a small forest in some county park someplace and hoping no one ever finds me, my ability to to keep clean clothes and 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 shower and shave and go out to a job is incredibly challenged and so i'm i guess it it's tough i is there an answer for that is there a way in which you know prado road can't handle everybody echo can't handle everybody um but some of those people may be ideal candidates for transitional programs but the very nature of where they currently live make them not look like or act like someone who's a good candidate for a program. Kristen do you want to talk a bit about the outreach elements of the plan and maybe what and maybe a little bit about what we're doing in the uh, Oklahoma Avenue parking village which is a new kind of homeless sheltering that is being developed in the county. Yeah, thank you, Susan. So um, I know I spoke a little bit about street outreach and some of our existing partners that currently um, participate in street outreach, and um, we could always use more of those services um, to be able to um, go out into the communities, and one in particular is Tima actually has a homeless outreach team, um, and they go and seek these individuals in those hard-to-reach places, um, as you had said. And part of that initiative is, yes, the parking program that we have out at Oklahoma Avenue right now. It is a safe place for people to be able to come and park their vehicles um, there are some funds out there, some grant funds that can work um, to help support this initiative um, and to expand this as well. And we are currently looking for more avenues and exploring more ways to be able to sustain this. There are other areas in the county that this might fit best to serve those individuals. Um, and 
the safe parking is also a place that um, we're working to also have service providers go out there and provide the case management to individuals and to start those conversations with them. Um, instead of them being spread out all over the county, and as you had mentioned, um, possibly in the forest, or um, in creek beds that they're hard to find, being at Oklahoma Avenue right now, it puts um, individuals in one place, but it is easier for our entities like Capslow and Pima to be able to go and reach out to those individuals and offer those services. And as I had said, build those relationships to really see where they might be a good candidate for some supportive employment programs and to get them plugged into um, jobs in order to get them to be successful. So I would, I would pose the general question because we've talked a lot about how this plan is going to get implemented. Um, do we have any successes already? Because I, I believe to some extent this topic for a lot of us looks like we're talking about what we'd like to do and we'd like to see happen, but it's all a future tense or next week. And um, I maybe the stories that are the most positive about this we don't hear about because the people who live those stories are not carrying a flag saying, thank you, Echo. They're getting on with their life. So, yeah, I can start with that one, and then maybe Susan can chime in as sure. well. Uh, I, I would say, yes, this plan is, uh, I mean, we are on the ground and running with this plan. Um, I think one of the key elements that sometimes get overlooked is even just the formation of the Homeless Services Division. Um, as you can imagine, with a, a new division, um, it takes time to get staffed. We have several vacancies. We're working on that now, um, but that doesn't mean that the plan stops. Um, so we are daily looking at, and I know I haven't talked a lot about all of the different lines of effort, but one of the, the key things also is really to create and identify and streamline these funding and resources that we're getting from the federal and state government in order to implement in our community. And so that's something that is definitely not a future tense. We are looking at that. Uh, we work on it daily to see what are the funding sources coming down? What grants can we apply for? Um, we are currently applying for grants. Um, we're looking at how to best leverage these funds um, to have successful um, programs and to sustain our successful programs. Also, the regional collaboration and our meetings with our cities to ensure that everyone's informed and on the same page and the county is leading this um, strategic plan to reduce homelessness by 50%. And again, also just that, that public engagement. Um, one of the sample actions that we'd like from that line of effort, and I think that we had talked about, is really a centralized resource for how can I help. There are individuals out there that want to help and want to get involved. Um, and I know, as you said, it, it, it is future tense, but it's not. I mean, we're in the planning stages. We are working. We have a drawing board. We're looking at what is the best way to communicate that to individuals so that everyone's on the same page. And to have that community-wide dashboard that the public can go to, that our agencies can go to, and they're getting fed the same information. Um, so I would say none of these six line of efforts are, are stagnant. Um, we are actively working on them. And from my perspective and what I'm currently working on is really that public engagement and the city collaboration as well as the grant funds. And so those are three of the six lines of effort um, that we are running forward on as, as well as many others. And I'll turn it over to Susan to see if she has anything else to add on 
how we're currently working on that. Sure. One of the things is just seeing the opening of those 20 cabins for change um, in Gover Beach is the first of several uh, places in which we'll need to be offering different kinds of first step sheltering so that people can stabilize their lives while they're getting ready to be into permanent housing. We just we need more more of these opportunities that that will accommodate partners and pets that allow people to handle their possessions and have some privacy because not everybody's going to be suitable to go you know or feel see themselves going through a congregate uh, you know sort of more communal place like Echo or Forty Prado. So we 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 have already opened the, those and and have sheltering people. Uh, we also um, had an organization step up. Um, to say we can put together a shoestring winter shelter during this rainstorm in North County, where at the moment we did not have, you know, a an emergency winter shelter that people can just go to from in whatever condition they are um, when it's pouring out rain, and that was organized within 24. They took it to the county, said we can do this. Uh, 24 hours later, uh, people were were getting shelter, and a van was running around to places where. The outreach workers knew homeless folks were hanging out, telling them, get out of the riverbed, jump in the van, we'll get you safe. Um, And that happened um, almost overnight. So that's an example of what we can do when there's a place in the county that you can call that has some resources and backing to take action. And those kinds of seasonal shelters are part of the plan. They're one of the many resources that we need to have in the county to accommodate the various ways in which people are um, homeless and create pathways out of that. I also want to mention just it it's a huge impact. I know it's really discouraging. You think of these folks who have you know mental illness challenges or or addictions and it just it feels like you know Sisyphus pushing the rock up the, the wall again. But it is enormously important to the individual. I was uh, sitting out at the Atascadero's Colony Days um, after the parade and and chatting with folks uh, last fall, um, and a woman came up to my booth and just thanked me for this involvement that I've had in working on homelessness. And uh, she was a registered nurse, and she talked about, you know, there with her daughter and talked about how she's working with with homeless women. They come in as patients because so many of them have physical illnesses, um, that are exacerbated by being out in the homeless. And then she told me that she herself had been homeless for five years. And to see now she's, she found, we got her that pathway out and now she's got a great life. She's contributing to the community. She's got family. This, she's somebody that, that you would want to have as your neighbor. And that's what we're aiming for to help people who have you know, fallen down in the struggle for whatever reason in whatever pathway to restore them to the ability to be good neighbors. Yeah. Kristen, before you jump in, I want to, as Susan, as you were saying that, it occurred to me having been a volunteer on a couple of occasions at Echo, one of the things that we don't see um, in public very much is the, the families with small children. There's there's because there's family programs at Echo and there's family programs at Five Cities Homeless um, that I think we have forgotten how many children are part of the homeless community. And I think that's important, an important thing that we remind people about. So thank you very much. Kristen, you had some uh, a follow up for this. 
I did. I just I wanted to piggyback on Susan and just a, a success story through Five Cities Homeless Coalition. Um, oftentimes, I feel like we don't hear about these success stories enough. They're not they're not out in the public enough. But um, Five Cities really has a robust homeless prevention program. Um, again, we could always use more of everything that we have, but. Um, an individual was about to be evicted and had no income. Um, they sought assistance at five cities. Um, a lot of times, um, people are are shameful to approach things. They're 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 afraid. Um, and but five cities homeless coalition is very very welcoming. And um, this individual immediately felt comfortable when they walked in. Um, and really, five cities was able to assist with rent for a couple of months and set this person up with Section Eight. And now they na- and now they have a place of their own. And this wouldn't have happened without homelessness prevention funds. And that's one thing that this plan in the first two years has really set as a priority is to try to keep individuals from even experiencing homelessness and get in on the prevention side of things so that that individual might not have to experience homelessness and to make those programs more robust. And that's something that that we can help with and that we can help support Five Cities Homeless Coalition, as well as other organizations with their homeless prevention efforts. So someone who's already not familiar with Prado, not familiar with with Five Cities Homeless Coalition, not familiar with ECHO, who do they contact first because they want to make a difference? I think you start uh, with uh, where are you and what is the way in which you want to make a difference? So if you're in the North County, I'd make my first call to Echo because they're serving at a Tascadero in, in Paso Robles and they're one of many agencies. If you want to work on mental health, you might want to call TEMA, the Transitions Mental Health Association, uh, because they're working countywide, but with a specific lens on mental health. If the way in which you want to be involved is providing food, then you want to connect up with maybe Echo with it, which has community cooked meal programs, or the food bank, which is which has launched services. They're one of many agencies of supporting the Oklahoma Parking Village. The, our food bank is out there with a pantry, with a resident-run process, and they just put it about 2,400 pounds of food in the last few weeks um, through and helped um, a couple of dozen households uh, that were struggling. So different ways, um, different organizations have strengths. The Salvation Army is active, Five Cities and, and Prado. So if you're in the South County, I'd reach out to Five Cities and say, how can I help? These, these are great places to start. And then they can also so direct you to another agency. I also want to mention one other thing, if I may. If your interest is working on this from a policy perspective, on how the governments coordinate together and what happens in your community, a great place to start is to show up right now to your own city council and to the county board of supervisors and tell them you want them to put a priority on addressing homelessness in the community. Right now, the cities and the county are doing their strategic planning, their priority setting for the next couple of years. 
And we need those cities to prioritize homelessness so that their staff can be working with the elected leaders on developing plans that integrate each city's plan and and what the county's doing so that together we can be more effective instead of just trying to shove this shove people from one place to another. You gave me a good transition to my normal wrapping up of the program. As listeners know, I want to make sure that my guests have more of the last word because I talk too much. So uh, in the last few minutes, what is with the t- each of you would like to share what your takeaway is that you want to make sure remember, people remember about what they can do to be part of this solution, which is truly looking like a wonderful solution. Kristen, I'll start with you. Let's make sure people understand what they can do to, um, to move this process along. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Fred. So really just, to summarize, homelessness is a is a real and ever present topic. Um, it's outside our back doors. It's our neighbors. Um, we are excited as a county to lead this endeavor and the strategic plan to reduce homelessness, and partner with our cities, the community partners, and as we said, the public. Um, I am a reader. I, I like to read the county documents. I know not everyone does, but I would really encourage people to pick up the five-year strategic plan, and you can see the outcomes associated with each line of effort. Um, And we know not every person or not every city can address every single line of effort in there, but there is something for everyone. There is something that everyone can do. So I would encourage um, everyone to look at that. Um, I am very excited to be a part of this, and I think that we are doing great things now, and we're going to be doing great things moving forward. Susan, your turn. Thank you, Fred. And I want to thank you and and KCBX for the opportunity to have this conversation. These are really important discussions um, in our community of how we move this forward, because nobody else has figured out how to solve this problem either. So we're all really trying to innovate and create a way to house the next generation, to house people who are the service workers on our community and see that they can, can both work and live here. And addressing homelessness is part and parcel of finding the housing that will also house um, new workers and help businesses thrive. So if we all work on it together, uh, there's real opportunity. So I encourage folks to get involved, to speak up at their local government about the importance of, of finding ways to do, to do this work. Consider building an ADU at your house. Um, to house somebody who might be working at ECHO or at the County Behavioral Health or one of these other agencies or somebody who has come through a stabilization program and is now looking to move into uh, more permanent housing. Uh, lots of great ways to involve, to to volunteer. You can volunteer at a shelter, to chaperone overnight, to serve meals, to cook meals, to do outreach um, and you can you know, donate socks, do whatever it is. Uh, you know, funds are important to the local agencies that are doing this work. It's very much something that we do together to help people become the neighbors that we want to have. Thank you. And I'll remind folks that the San Luis County does indeed have a Homeless Services Advisory Council for which Susan is the chair. 
if you Google that, I suspect we can find out where where you meet and what you talk about when you do do that. I think sometimes people forget that a simple Google will find them the the ties they need in their community. Um, and I appreciate the fact that we actually have a council in that regard. Thank you to my guests. Um, let me fill you in next week on Central Coast Voices. Um, there is going to be um, a, a look at how we can build welcoming health care. Um, join Chris Kington Barker on next week's program. She's going to be speaking with guests from Sage Care, which is a cultural competency training program. They will discuss how healthcare providers can create more welcoming care for LGBTQ communities and the elderly. And they're going to talk about that and give you some idea of what's going on in the healthcare community as a way to be more opening open with people feeling like healthcare is available to them when they felt shut out. Join Chris next week. Um, as we've said before, but I want to thank again, we are action for a project of action for healthy communities, which is part of the community foundation of San Luis Obispo County. Um, working with KCBX as partners with this has been wonderful for us to be able to put on this program and uh, their efforts are certainly appreciated. Also want to thank the underwriting of Joan Gellert Sargent, long-term underwriter of the program, so we can bring this to you. You can reach us at voices at kcbx.org. It's the email address that we give you to call in or contact the program. It's also the email address that all of our hosts and our production uh, assistant look at um, where feedback and suggestions come in for the program. So we thank you for the partnership with, that we have with Action for Healthy Communities and the Community Foundation. And KCBX Public Radio is why we can do this. Thank you to our in-studio engineer, Brad Kyle, who is with us. And thank you to my guests, Susan Funk and Kristen Ventresca, for putting on a program that is very helpful for us all to understand that homelessness can be addressed effectively. Thank you. This has been Central Coast Voices.